You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to The Worship Review, the podcast which critically and charitably examines the texts of songs sung in the church. My name's Tyler. I am a linguist full-time, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. I'm Colin. I'm a history professor full-time. And today we're taking a look at a song called No Longer Slaves, obviously a sequel to the earlier song, Some Shorter Slaves, by Bethel Music. And Bethel is a, Bethel is a uh, a group of uh, musicians that we have dealt with many times on this podcast, um, based out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. So um, Bill and Benny Johnson are the senior leaders; that's their title of this church. And Bethel Music is fronted by uh, Bill and Benny Johnson's son Brian Johnson and Brian's wife Jen. Uh, but of course. Other notable members of this group who have appeared on our podcast before are Corey Asbury, Christine DeMarco, and Brandon Lake. And uh, this song, well, Colin, what would you say this song is about, No Longer Slaves? I think the most charitable reading of the song and straightforward reading is that it's about liberation. It's about the idea of, it is about a people who were, well, it is about a person who was once a slave and they are delivered from slavery. They're chosen and they're born again into a family that is actually the family of God. And so this person moves to a new status and that is a status of a, of a child, a child of God. So that, I think that's the big picture. We'll get into maybe some details about how that is portrayed in the song as we look at individual lyrics but what do you think Tyler does that seem right yeah it does I I was reflecting and I think this song is meant to call to mind Romans chapter 8 oh yeah so this I think could be the backbone on which the song is laid Uh, verses 14 to 16 for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we have, I think the core elements in this song uh, also seem to be inspired uh, by this text, uh, right? We're delivered from a spirit of fear. We're not going to fall back into uh, fear, which is uh, a spirit of slavery, hence no longer slaves, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And as we saw in uh, verse 16, that sons, of course, is is a gender neutral in Greek. So it's sons and daughters implying um, a kind of a family. Um, well, Colin, let's look then at 
the first verse, shall we? Yeah. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come. You unravel me with a melody. Oh, I you. thank you, Tyler. <laughs> no problem, That's Colin. So, I just feel bashful with you saying that. <laughs> what, do, what do I mean by that? That's a question <laughs> that you might ask. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Okay, yeah, so we joked about this. The, let me just say the, the everything but the first line makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, let me just... I found this first line just a little bit weird. I, I don't... I'm not saying it's heretical. It's a strange thing to say in a song that is being sung in a church. It's just the language is strange. You unravel me with a melody. And maybe that's just because it's unconventional. Like, am I reacting to words like unravel? And and just even the idea of you unravel me, it has a... It, it feels like it goes a step beyond... It feels invasive, in a way, I suppose, is the way to put it. So I just, and again, it might be, it just might be the structure of the sentence. I'm sure, of course, it wasn't intended that way. And again, maybe I'm just reacting to it being unconventional. I mean, I think of things like sirens, not sirens like from an ambulance, but like sirens out in sea. Yeah, exactly. Mythological sirens. Yeah, or like almost like spells or charms. Like ideas of a person kind of kind of being broken down in an unhealthy way almost or in a in a in a way that is almost troubling, I guess. Like a, a deconstruction. It's it's like almost language of deconstruction, if you ask me. Yeah. I I think I would agree with you um about that phrase. With the rest of this verse, I would also agree that it does a really good job. I think this second part of the verse, we could say, is derived from Psalm 32, verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's exactly what we see here, right? You surround me with a... Well, it's a song of deliverance here in this first verse, but... um, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Um, you preserve me in trouble. Unravel is a funny verb to use because in the literal sense, you have something that's tied in a knot or something that's rolled into a ball. And to unravel it is to um, undo all of that complexity until you're left with like a single strand. And maybe that's why you described a sensation of being bare or, yeah. or revealed. And it's not just about the word unravel, because if this line was something like, you unravel my false sense of self, or you unravel my sinful plans, or something like that, or you unravel the plans of my enemies, to kind of invoke language that is similar to the Psalms, that wouldn't be a problem at all. So it's not really unravel, but it's it's you unravel me with a melody. It I find that why is the self being unraveled that that seems 
strange to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course we become new creatures in Christ, and we do become born again. I don't know that God unravels us in the sense that he unravels our very being or our soul or something. And again, I don't want to impute to this a lot of theological weight because it's clearly just, again, it's just a quick line. And also with a melody. So, well, even if God, let's say God does unravel ourselves, or I could say that God unravels me, it's weird to say that he does it with a song. Like that that's that's just, like, is he the Pied Piper? Like the rest of it is clearly biblical. I mean, you have the idea, like being surrounded is like, you know, we've got, God is a, described as a fortress in a lot of Psalms. That's a surrounding thing. Like there are lots of, there's lots of surrounding language in scripture and deliverance and even the idea of not being afraid because of Christ, because of the salvation that God provides to us. But none of that still quite makes sense of why the first line had to be that one. I suspect this first line will uh, continue to be significant, not because it makes sense, but because um, it is so prominent in the song and it is frankly in my opinion so distracting from the rest of the good in the song okay um let me talk a little bit if i may about some of these other uh parts in this in this verse so remember how i mentioned psalm 32 and how uh, god surrounds me with shouts of deliverance now this this part says song of deliverance and we do have a couple of songs of deliverance in scripture, but they're typically people singing a song to God, giving thanks. So for example, in Exodus 15, Moses and Israel, after the journey through the Red Sea, sing a song of deliverance. Exodus 15, one says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. In 2 Samuel 22, David, after having victory in battle, sings a psalm of deliverance as well. 2 Samuel 22 says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. So typically the song of deliverance, uh, as far as I can tell from Scripture, is something that people offer up to God in gratitude and in triumph. Um, and is it acceptable to say God, uh, putting aside the unraveling with the melody, um, surrounds us with a song of deliverance? Well, you know, I actually think, despite um, its maybe more literal absence from Scripture, I think it's uh, acceptable. Like you said, God is described as a fortress. We take shelter in him. He surrounds us. And Zephaniah 3.17 actually mm. describes the Lord singing. It says... The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So our God is described as a singer, uh, as it were, um, but in certainly in much more precise and clear language than this first verse. Yeah, I also was thinking of Zephaniah 317. It's a passage that we've talked about with reference to numerous songs. And it seems to me like that's maybe the best guess as to where this may have been going. The The songwriter is maybe just trying to 
use different words to capture the emotional reaction to the idea that God would sing over us and that God's songs would comfort us. This is obvious. That's obviously a beautiful image. Well, then we have this uh, refrain. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Yeah, great. I mean, it is true that Christians aren't slaves to fear. And also, it's implied here, non-Christians are slaves to fear. I mean, think about all of the things that non-Christians must be afraid of. I mean, death has got to be a big one. You know, that's a huge one. Uh, Fear of not being approved, you know, fear of not being, not belonging, fear of failure. I mean, they're just, you could just name off lots and lots and lots of fears that, of course, Christians experience too. I'm not suggesting that those just go away. But when we're a child of God, when we're brought into God's family, we're not a, we're not slaves to those fears. We are not automatically disposed to them. It's not as though we have no choice now uh, other than to be slaves to those. In fact, God gives us his spirit, which you so rightly mentioned in Romans 8, God makes that really, really clear that by having a spirit, we are no longer slaves to fear. So I really like these two lines, and I think it's a powerful, it's a powerful refrain in the song. From my mother's womb, you have chosen From my mother's womb you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again to a family. Your blood flows through my veins. All right, this is another verse, just like the first one, where a lot of it makes sense, and then there's just one line that's kind of weird. It's not necessarily heretical. It's just kind of weird. So I was recalling several verses in Psalm 22 when... I first read these lines. So Psalm 22, 9 and 10. Yet you you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Now, we could be pedantic and say, okay, well, these are verses about Christ. These Christ himself referenced this psalm on the cross and clearly, this song psalm is about Christ. So should we be taking these ideas that Scripture applies to Christ and apply them to ourselves? So can we say, from my mother's womb you have chosen me, love has called my name, I've been born again to a family, etc.? Well, okay, I think that we can. I mean, th- those things are true. 
the fact is, and in fact, I'm really pleased to see a group like Bethel Music speak about this because this is not a, this is not something that maybe everybody that listens to Bethel Music would affirm. They might not affirm that God chose us from his mother's womb. They might have a disposition that's more towards our own volition and the need for our own volition in our salvation, that that there is a work that we do in terms of kind of asking for salvation at the very least. Whereas the way that Bethel Music phrased this verse, God has chosen us from, from the mother's womb. And that's true. That is what scripture says. And he has called us from the very beginning and brought us into a family. So on the whole, I think this makes a lot of sense. So before I get to that last verse, Tyler, does that does that seem right to you? Does this seem like a good set of words? Yeah, I loved this line, actually. And uh, as you rightly mentioned, uh, there are many ways in which the Psalms can be interpreted, right? We can see them most literally being about Christ, but then also they do speak to the human condition on top of that. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, having human authors, of course, they would. Uh and divine and a divine author, not to not to yeah. um, yes. not to be uh, uh, heretical here. Yeah, that's and, heresy. Um, I I recalled Galatians one, where Paul talks about his calling by God from his uh, his life as Saul persecuting the church to Paul, and he says, uh, "For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it." I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So so Paul says he was set apart as an apostle from the womb. And... Um, you you interpret it as as uh, maybe a soteriological setting apart, uh, being set apart for salvation from my mother's womb. I think there's warrant for that certainly, um, and uh, it is clear from scripture that uh, God does call from even the womb from before birth. Psalm one thirty nine also gives an example of this too, where yeah. God is depicted as knitting us together. Um, I suspect then, I mean, love is called my name. Uh, this is poetic language, yeah. right? Called me individually. I've been born again to a family. So this is interesting. I, I born again, I have new life and I'm not a new life as a, as an isolated individual, but I'm yeah. actually a new life in a context. Yeah. And I like this too, um, cause it's got two meanings, both of which are awesome. One is of course the immediate family that we see around us in the church but then, of course, that 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 church family is also God's family as well. It's the same thing. So I, I see no bad meaning here. They're all good. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is proud to call us his brothers. Yeah, right? exactly. So I suspect then you have you take issue with this last line, your blood flows through my veins. This line to me, I think what what is trying to be expressed is that Christ's Blood gives us life. You know, we're new creatures. I think that's what's trying to be expressed. But this is a really weird way to say it. Because, of course, Christ's blood does not flow through our veins. So you can't take this literally. Like Christ, we didn't get an infusion of Christ's 
blood. I mean, we don't even know for his blood type, you know, I'm sure he had a, I mean, maybe he was a universal donor. That would actually that would be so fitting. <laughs> he's O positive or something. Or wait, O negative yeah. <laughs> is a universal donor, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so we don't know what Christ's blood type is. Anyway, my point just is, so his blood doesn't flow through our veins. So this must be metaphorical, but what would that mean? I mean, what would, what would be trying to be expressed here that his blood flows through my veins? And that, that's such a visceral image that if it is a metaphor, it, it, it just doesn't seem to work because it, it's so tied to body you know, to, to the physical body and the, the, the organs of the body. So, I mean, I, I just was just trying, it just doesn't make sense to me. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so much that uh, we could talk about with this line, your blood flows through my veins. Um, it's not talking about midi-chlorians, right? It's talking about <laughs> something, the force. something else. I don't think, and also, not to be tried about this, there are some Christians who believe this, I'm not among them, uh, that um, the substance of Holy Communion oh, sure. becomes the body and blood of Christ. And so if, if you believe that, then I think you would say sincerely, uh, in a sense, that very substance is being carried through my veins. I don't well, think at that least that's... It's, at least it's in my body. You, I mean, the... the, yeah. the Blood doesn't go into even the you know the wine doesn't go into our veins. You don't take it straight into the veins, but yeah. but eventually, uh, it the nutrients in the okay. bread, sure, uh, and also the alcohol in the in the wine. Yeah, yeah sure. If you take wine, uh, will enter your cells through your That's veins. Right. Um, no, Tyler. Um, the the proper wine is non-alcoholic, and even right, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it was it was grape juice. Well, and speaking of evangelical particularities, that's why I said I don't think it's likely that Bethel meant something about transubstantiation. Of course not. Yeah. I think more they're probably more aiming at union with Christ. Uh, like Paul says in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I think that's this kind of sense in which um, Jesus invites us to abide in him and he in us, that we have through the Holy Spirit indwelling us communion with Christ himself. And so um, that that would be my best attempt to explain this in a way, explain this line in a way that doesn't uh, fall into serious error. Yeah. I will say, though, like you said with the first verse, um, it's just it's just distracting. Um, yeah. oh, you didn't say that, but I would say that this yeah. is distracting. That first line is distracting. It's meant to point to some grand truth but then it doesn't give us enough information about what that grand truth is yeah and so it just ends up being this weird yeah like the guy like, i don't know what you might say but have you ever been in a conversation with someone and everyone's joking and then one guy goes way too far with a joke yeah that's okay, what I, yeah, that's exactly enough. what i'm talking about <laughs> okay good this this just goes a little bit too far i guess you could yeah. say i am Surrounded by the arms of the Father, I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. For the sons and the daughters, let us sing our freedom. Oh, 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 don't forget about the O's.
<laughs> uh, I like this better than the first verse because we have more language about being surrounded, but it's by the arms of the Father. We have another reference to songs of deliverance. And then in, I don't know, it's not like in contrast to that, but in addition to that, we've been liberated from bondage. I think that's clever because when you're bound, think about being bound in chains or bound in ropes or bound by a straitjacket, for example. <laughs> like all of these, all of these are things that surround you. They prevent you from moving, and but in a way that's uncomfortable and unwelcome. And that's contrasted with being surrounded by the arms of the Father or by the songs of deliverance. So it's a different kind of binding, but one that is welcome and you know loving and liberating. And that's that's a really cool that's a really cool idea. Like it's interesting to think that you know you could be hugged by somebody that you love and that hug is just the most wonderful thing in the world whereas if there was someone that you didn't want near you and they put their arms around you like that you would want nothing but to escape and it's exactly the same thing in just in just a like a bodily physical sense like it's exactly the same thing and i don't know if that's intentional here or not but it's a nice contrast it's a contrast that i think works two different kinds of bounding or surrounding one that's welcome and wonderful and liberating and loving and then the other one which we've escaped from which was a mm. form of slavery that is nice the the play on the opposites really there yeah i do wonder about this first line though colin um i'm surrounded by the arms of the father um I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. Are songs of deliverance the arms of the Father? And I, if God I, is immaterial and invisible, we have to interpret this as metaphor um, in order to stay within, you know, reasonable orthodoxy. I I hear those two things as being separate things, but you know. Okay, I, so even yeah. if they're separate, what are the arms of the Father then? Yeah. It, that's an interesting thing to sing now because, of course, in a corporeal sense, we're not. Although, you could make the argument that, well, okay, see, I mean, again, just to be pedantic, like we could say, okay, the body of Christ surrounds us. And in that sense, we're surrounded by arms. But in a, in a very technical sense, those are that's Christ's body. So we are, that's not the Father's body. The church is not the body of the Father because the Father doesn't have a body. So, which I guess maybe is the problem that you're getting at, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just don't know what it means. Um, uh, now, I'm, I'm not trying to be pedantic. I can, see, I think I can see what it's trying to say. It's trying to say God is giving me like a, a warm embrace of intimacy and maybe protection. Um, but it's just, I think, carelessly worded. Okay, I mean, unless arms is meant to be weapons. In which well, case, these songs of deliverance are weapons against the enemy. Yeah, I mean, there, I've, I've, I have a vague recollection of at least some Bible verses about God having his arms open. And, you know, we do have the the parable of the two sons, or what's sometimes called the prodigal son, you know, which, which, which analogizes God's love for us and 
care for us as a a you know as a father who embraces his son and chases after his son. It's just true that like God is not in bodily form. God the Father is not in bodily form. So in a sense, he doesn't do that. But so I don't know. This maybe this this doesn't really bother me uh, mm-hmm. as maybe, and it doesn't sound like it really bothers you. But it's just maybe an inconsistency. Is that fair enough? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's inconsistency. I just think it's not worded very clearly. Okay. But if you interpret it as being uh, reminiscent of the parable of the prodigal son, then I could see why someone would say I'm surrounded by the arms of the father. But I don't see clear uh, indicators pointing us in that direction throughout the rest of the song. Okay. That's so. fair. Sure. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drown my fears in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and say I am the child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me, and I will stand and sing, I am a child of God. I think this, like the bridge, is another attempt to be clever with contrast, although this one I don't think works as well. So we have an obvious reference to the crossing of the Red Sea. And that was a historical event. That happened. And it's true that we can derive principles from that about what you know what god thinks more generally about say his people throughout time you know god you know there's in a in the same way that god called israel he rescued them from egypt he preserved them he made a way for them across the sea okay well in the same way that he does those things like even though you and i didn't literally experience or historically experience that specific thing, we could say of God that he called us and that he rescued us from slavery to sin, that he's preserving us through our lives, that he puts good works in front of us to walk through and he endures, etc. So you can analogize this. So you can say something like, you split the sea so I could walk right through it, my fears are drowned. You can, you can say that. But you do need to kind of explain it a little bit more. Like you don't just want to, you don't want to immediately create an abstraction out of something that has significant flesh and blood and historicity. So like I just gave some historical context, but the song doesn't do that. Like I have to provide that. So that is the first thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about the way that this is done. It's it's a good thing to bring up, but... if this was an undergraduate paper, I'd I would tell the student in the comments, "Hey, you, you, you like flesh this out a little bit because if the abstraction is going to have value and meaning, you've got to outline what the the more concrete thing actually means first. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sound it sounds like um, the redemption of the people of Israel." from the cruel oppressive slavery in Egypt is 
being used to parallel this person's salvation. Yeah. I'm but uh, but you have to guess, I think is what you're saying, that it's about the salvation. Well, right? I mean, okay. So there are other hints in the song that that give color to this. So I I'm not saying that this is coming out of left field, but it it seems like that historical episode is given as little as possible explanation. So it works. It's not like it doesn't work. I'm and I'm not saying I'm nitpicking, but I am I do think this criticism is substantive. It's not derailing, but it it there just needs to be what is the meaning of the fact that God split the sea? And and that's it, right? From from other than saying that God split the sea, immediately then it's all about the person. It's all about this individual singing. That's the only connection that we get to the historical event. And in my view, that is just not. It's like he's almost gonna he's almost gonna paint a picture, and then he just paints it in the most like the barest way possible. That just doesn't help. I don't know. I'm not a fan of abstract art, so you know, not a Picasso person. <laughs> Uh, I, so I think you split the sea so I could walk right through it would be you did the impossible and passed me through uh, this thing which is not to be split by anyone else. Um, and well, and in like fashion, um, God broke his own body uh, and we have passed through it. Um my fears are drowned in perfect love. My first um, reading of this, I thought this was a very weird line. But if my fears are the Egyptians or, or my enemies or pursuers or anything like that, it's like, okay, yeah, clearly they are drowned in perfect love. Um, but if it's like, I'm I'm just kind of nervous because I'm giving a presentation next week and, you know, that's upsetting me. Um, it's just a little bit, a little bit vague. Yeah, this is like that mixed metaphor thing that we talk about from time to time. So you have the first two lines referencing the sea is bad. The sea is the thing that you have to that God has to split so that we can walk through it. Now we again, we don't know what it is, but it's something bad. Um, but now um, God's perfect love is like a sea that drowns fears. So now the sea is a good thing, right? That that doesn't work. I, I understand what the attempt. I, I understand what is the meaning is here. I get that, but this is a this is clumsy. This is not clever. This is clumsy, and it's unfortunate because I think this is a good point to be made. That you know, it's a biblical point that God's the perfect love casts out all fear. This is a biblical idea, but you can't use language of drowning for something good when just a second ago the water was bad. Hmm. Can't do that. I like that this song at the end is reflecting on good truths that we've already mentioned, right? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Because it doesn't leave us in some kind of place where we're scratching our heads what's going on. It returns mm -hmm. to very simple language, yeah. even childlike language, and uh, meditates on that, R riffs on that, I think you could say. Um. Mm -hmm. What are your concluding thoughts about this song, Colin? So, first of all, I'm pleased to say I didn't see any overt heresy in the song. That has happened occasionally in some of Bethel's songs. We they they don't they don't usually 
pass the bar for us and sometimes they they like just run into the wall and smash their faces in it because it, there's just something terrible in the song. Uh, and actually, I'd say this is pretty consistent too. I think the idea of liberation from slavery and inheritance as a child of God, or at least uh, status, I should say, as a child of God, is very clear. And it's proclaimed over and over again in a few different ways. I do think there's just these strange or incoherent or odd bits of phraseology in the song that would make me say this is not a song that I uh, would, you know, this is, if I went to a church and they were singing this song, I would kind of just be scratching my head a little bit. It just seems like an odd, odd song lyrically. And so to me, it just doesn't quite clear the bar. What was your, does it clear the bar for you, Tyler? It doesn't. And, and, uh, it did initially, but because initially I thought, okay, this first line is unacceptable to me, um, but the rest of it is good. And then as we went through it, I was like, well, yeah, actually, but in the second verse, there's a line that I'm not sure I like that much. And then in the third verse, there's a line that I'm not sure I like that much. And then I'm, I'm left with something that's, um, it has a lot of good in it. And then distractions, just, yeah. um, I don't know. It's like at a party when the music suddenly stops and you can hear a conversation from the other side of the room and they're talking about something crazy over there. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> sure. Where did that come from? And then yeah. like, that's kind of how it feels is like, for example, in that, <laughs> in that verse where, um, where he's, he's just talking and he's like, um, uh, and, and maybe I don't understand the verse. Maybe our listeners can clear this up, but when it's like, from my mother's womb, you've chosen me. Love is called my name. I'm born you into a family. And then the music stops. He's like, your blood flows through my veins. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what? <Whoa. laughs> Where did this guy come from? Whoa, buddy. <laughs> That's kind of how it felt. Easy. So, uh, Colin, what'd you give this yeah. song at the end? I gave this two out of five Freedom O's. Freedom O's? Are these yeah. the new cereal being offered by a political yeah. candidate? Yeah, that's right. Freedom most, like like freedom fries. In this in this song, the bridge ends with the line, "Let us sing our freedom." And then what happens is they just start going, "Oh," and <laughs> it just seems so weird because it's like they're like, "All right, here we go. We're gonna sing our freedom." And then they're like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh." What I found even more funny is when I watched the video, they're like getting all hyped up. So they're singing O's and they're like, start really like lifting their hands and the lady on stage starts really like rocking around. And you're thinking like, okay, if you needed some evidence, like if you wanted a control and variable experiment, right? You wanted to answer the research question, how much of a worship song how much of the response to a worship song is just hype from the music, from the feelings, the kind of collective mass experience, and how much of it is in reaction to the content of the words? And what you want, of course, is none of the first thing, none, zero. 
and you want 100% of the second thing. Any response in worship, you want to the word of God, the truths about God, his gospel, etc. Like that's the thing that you want. If you're responding to the music, if you're responding to the way you feel about the singing, you're you're not worshiping. You're worshiping something else. You're not worshiping God. You are worshiping, but you aren't worshiping God. And it was fascinating to me that in the video, to just see people sing, oh, for like 40 seconds or maybe 30 seconds, and they're just getting, like their hands are up and they're just like, they're acting like the oh is something profound. And it's nothing. It's just a syllable. It has no theological meaning whatsoever. And yet they're responding to it. And I just thought like, okay, like I'm not criticizing, I'm not criticizing sincerity here, but I, that I feel legitimate, I feel legitimized in saying at, in that moment, they were not, wor- the people that were getting exuberant about the word O were not worshiping God at that moment. They were, in, mm. they were enraptured in something else. Is this during the live performance? Yeah. Okay. I'd like, I'm, I'm going to have to go and hear that because because I don't remember that. Tyler, what'd you rate it? Oh, um, I gave it two out of five Blair Witch Projects. Oh, huh. Oh, this will, you have which, to explain this one to me. This is a horror movie from, uh, I think, the early 2000s. And, uh, Seems about right. Um, a group of teenagers hear about a haunted woods where there's a witch. Um, obviously, I don't believe Supposedly. in witches, but... Um, there's, it's a horror movie, so we're allowed to, you know, think up uh, fictional uh, realities that are very similar to ours. In any event, they go out into the woods and they have just a camcorder, a handheld camcorder, and they record themselves like a video blog. And the lyric video for this song opens, and for the rest of the video, is a camera being held at about eye level, moving through a trail in the woods. And my, it was, it was subconscious. I had no idea that I was thinking about this, but in immediately when I opened up the video and the first thing I saw was a handheld camera moving through the woods and it even it's in slow motion. So the frame rate is about, it looks like it's about eight or 12 frames per second. So it's a little bit jittery and it's moving through the woods. I thought I'm watching the Blair Witch Project right now. Uh, and it took me a second to uh, get back to, no, this is a, a music video for a worship song. So it was a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Um, and uh, Colin, I did the thing that you always do, and you didn't do it. And so now I did it alone. I heard really heavy auto-tune the last time oh. <laughs> the singer says slave. You can hear him jump. He must have really been at like the cusp of a quarter tone because he uh-huh. jumps a half step mid-breath. It's really weird. I'm no longer. But yeah, it really would be a three. I I didn't come into this not liking it. I would like it, and I do like a lot of it, but there's just oh, so yeah. much distraction that I, I just can't, yeah. in good faith, it's give it a much. three. Yeah, I agree. All right. A three for me is like a Roger Ebert thumbs up, and uh, I think a three for Roger Ebert was a thumbs up too, which is yeah, why I mean, gave so many threes. But One of the things I like about a rating system with the uneven numbers is it does, for, like we can't just have like a borderline. You do... It, There's no two and either a half it's stars. a three or a two, right? And yeah. so it has to clear a bar in order to get. It has to kind of be acceptable 
to get a three. Otherwise, you have to put it at a two. Yeah. There's no way around it. Yep. That's good. Well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Worship Review. We are excited to come back next week and talk to you about another song. If you have enjoyed the show, consider a gift and consider sharing us with uh, the pastors, worship uh, leaders, musicians, and uh, people interested in the theology of worship music in your life. I know that uh, um, there are many. So uh, thank you. And also a shout out to South Africa and Kenya, because you've oh, been yeah. listening to our show a lot recently. And we just want to <laughs> say, uh, you know, we're, we love you guys from across the Atlantic Ocean. So yeah. And across uh, and above you in the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere as well. That's true. We are in different quadrants yeah. of the world. So, but brothers and sisters in Christ, indeed, Amen. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at Anchor FM slash the Worship Review and Patreon.com slash the Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.